Hi guys, and welcome back to You're On Crack, Mate, the podcast where we delve into films, television series, and whatever takes our fancy, really, analysing and reviewing them to the point where we've been told flat out, you're on crack, mate. This week, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Tom Julian. Tom's day job is supporting cancer research, and on nights and weekends, he's an author. He enjoys travelling, long-distance cycling, and waking up early to brew the perfect cup of coffee. Please move in with me. Tom's novel series, Timberwolf, is a spy-fi epic originally envisioned as a film. Tom worked to transfer its cinematic qualities to the page, and he's just released Timberwolf Symmetry, the second book in the series. He's a reformed screenwriter and has had the distinction of meeting with the producers of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and Voyager back in the day, but hasn't sold anything yet. Very important to say yet. Tom is an unabashed beer snob and native of Trenton, New Jersey, USA. Dad to Liam and Izzy and husband to the lovely Brenda Lee. Tom, I'm delighted to have you with me this evening. How are you? Oh, I'm great, Sean. How are you? I am very well. Thank you very much. I am feeling humbled. My God, that is, that's a hell of a resume, man. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, it's a, it's kind of just a piled up over the years and then suddenly you know it and it's like, oh man, look at all this stuff. Um, it's, 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 it's one of those ones where I'm like, where, where, where do I start? You, you have the most interesting life. <laughs> but, but what I'll do is, the first thing I'll ask you is, you know, how are you and why have you agreed to speak with me this evening, you lovely person? So I'm great. Um, I'm uh, in New Jersey. We're um, in our ninth month of, uh, of lockdown out here. So I've had a lot of time to, to uh, my off hours, write and, and do stuff. And I, uh, I think I bumped into you on Twitter. Um, we were talking about, you'd said something like, what was your favorite Star Trek moment? Um, and I wrote yeah. the time I met with him. And you were like, oh, wow, that's, uh, that's pretty cool. So uh, I, I realized I had to talk to you and meet you. And I just finished writing my book, my second book. So I was uh, excited also to talk to you about that. And uh, I just, you know, I, I really love just meeting people and having a great time and, and uh, you, you know, chatting away. So um, I'm just like to meet and talk to you and, and, uh, and get to know you. Oh, well, first of all, you're an absolute gentleman for saying that. Thank you so much. Sure. Um, no, I remember that. I think uh, the the favorite Star Trek mo the moment one, I, I that was one of those ones where I really wasn't expecting to meet as many lovely people as I as I met through that because I don't know if you know this, Tom, but there's quite a few moments in Star Trek. Did you know that? Yeah, there are quite a few. I think there's has it been on for about almost fifty years or a bit more, maybe. Couldn't be. come on there. Couldn't be that much, is it? I think it has. I think it's been on for over 50 years because it came on before the moon landing and the moon landing 1969. And that was about 51 years ago. My so I think Star Trek God. came on in 1967. So it's been on for like 53 years. Good Lord. And uh, William Shatner hasn't aged a day. It's amazing. It is somewhat ridiculous. Actually, Joe, tangent now, if you mind me, just, just before the world, you know, stopped this year, um, William Shatter was doing his uh, The Wrath of Khan tour and he brought it to Dublin I'm in Dublin, Ireland and I mean I could only hope to have that much energy when I'm pushing 90 Yeah he's, 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 he's moving along um, and I was really thrilled to see um, Picard come back this year too 
that oh that goodness. was thrilling to see him on the stage or on on the screen playing his his role. I almost said stage because it, it, you know he's he's got such a, an amazing theater background as well. Um, you know, you're you're absolutely right. It's like if he's I have a feeling he's one of those people that if he's not brushing his teeth or making a cup of tea, he's delivering a monologue somewhere to a theater crowd. Um, yes. or, I just imagine him like, like he would be amazing to listen to, like ordering a, ordering a sandwich in front of you in a line. You know? <laughs> just, just, and it, you can even say like, I've done those commercials with him and Mark Hamill where they're ordering, ordering food online. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty fun. I'd listen to him read the back of a cereal box. He's quite amazing. My God, he is. But I, t- I tell yeah. you, who also is amazing is yourself. I'm going to start picking through some of this CV All now. Right. Pick it away. Because, Pick it away. my God. I'll, I'll, start, I'll start with the obvious. I'll start with the Trek connection here. You've met with yep. the producers of DS9 and Voyager. How, what, okay. who, when, and where? All right. So, so I, I've lived the crazy dream geek fantasy. Um, when I was in college, I, uh, I wrote a... Deep Space Nine script as a senior project for um, a, a screenwriting class, and the teacher loved it. Um, and uh, when it was when I when I finished school, I posted it was this is like in 1997 um, when I, I posted the uh, the script onto the internet, and uh, there weren't many people doing that back then. So somebody who had a pitch out to Paramount saw and read that script, and um, contacted me and asked me if I wanted to come with them. So I was literally like the, the most amazing thing that could happen to any nerd who posts their fan fiction online. Um, I was pulled into the tent and I went out um, with, a, with a writing partner to, um, we prepared 10 or so pitches and we went out and, you know, pitched them all to, uh, it was to, I think it was um, Ryan, uh, it was Terry Ryan or Terry Ryan, I forget which one. Um, I'll just say Terry. Uh, Terry Ryan and Renee Chevrera. Yeah. Oh yeah. And yeah. Uh, we met. Yeah, we met with both of them, and it was uh, unbelievably fantastic. It was really fun experience. And uh, unfortunately, we left empty-handed, but it, it left me with, uh, you know, uh, some really great uh, stories to tell and fun stuff to go over. Yeah, that's fantastic. Obviously, I, I must say, obviously, I'm, I'm sorry that it didn't go. Uh, it that it didn't get sold. But what what a day! You know, what an experience. You you literally you were in the room. You know. Yeah. Yeah, that was neat. And it was, it's, a, it's a surprisingly humble in experience. I don't mean it makes you feel humble, but it, it's like going to a, you know, the, the offices are sort of crowded and old fashioned and, you know, filled with, uh, uh, you know, uh, boxes and papers and things like that, sort of old school Hollywood. Um, and, you know, you're thinking you're going to meet with producers of Star Trek that you're going to like, you know, meet and, and, and be transported in and such, and it's going to be gleaming and whatnot. But it's really, um, you know, sort of old and tweedy uh, to a degree. Um, so it, it, was, it was really fun. And they just basically sit, sit, you sit down with them. Um, and this is how it was back then. I'm sure it's fairly the same. But they basically just ask you to tell them a story, right? If you were to explain, um, uh, you know, a, a story you had or a show you watched and you wanted to tell, you know, your, your friend, partner, roommate about it, you'd say, hey, I saw this, you know, show and blah, 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 and this happened and that happened and this guy said this and then they did that and then there was an explosion and then this happened and then they just kind of ask you to sit down and tell that story uh, to them and if they like it, they ask you to continue, but if they don't, they say, they, they usually sort of say, hey, you know, we're not going to go in that direction, but one of the coolest things was uh, that, um, 
you know, they actually stopped us at one point and said, hey, we've got something very, very similar to that already in motion. So um, they didn't want to um, cover any bases that, uh, that, that we would already be there and also sort of protect everybody from a, you know, a, uh, a perspective of, of copying somebody's work. So they didn't want us to think that they, you know, they, they, they ripped it off us or anything like that. But it was a cool, it was an idea I had about the, uh, the doctor on Deep Space Nine on, on, uh, on Voyager, the holographic doctor um, developing a, uh, you know, a holographic family and sort of that invading his, his working life and, and causing some trouble on, this, on, the, on the ship, which was really neat. Um, but, uh, but they were, they were gracious enough to say, yeah, you know, uh, stop right there. But it was a wonderful experience. That's, that, that's very interesting because of course, what that speaks to as well is that there is, you know, two people can have the same idea. It, it doesn't necessarily mean one, you know, copied off the other or anything. So it's just very interesting that you oh, had yeah. seen the growth that the character had gone through up to that point and thought, well, this might be a natural next step for the doctor. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you think about characters on a show or, or in a book or in a movie, they, they exist in a world and where different pieces fit together. And those pieces can fit together in various infinite ways, but there are certain things that um, uh, may, uh, you know, may be uh, a theme that, that, that comes forth, character growth or what someone's going to experience or how they might develop and such. So it was, it was pretty cool um, coming up with that, but you're absolutely right in that sense. That's that's yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm 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 sitting here in the the most. How do I phrase this? The the nicest jealousy I think I felt in quite a long time. So, man, you were you were there with wow. Renee Javari. I mean, like, yeah, that's that's that that's a nice jealousy. Don't get me wrong. I I feel I feel pleasantly yeah. envious of you. Well, thank you, sir. I feel uh, uh I feel honored to be envied. It is it is <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful feeling. Um, now, there was, to kind of, to, to, oddly enough, to take a bit of a left for a second, right? Um, sure. You, you, you support cancer research, and I see as well that you do like long, long-range cycles. Now, I will not for one second say that I am any good at it, but I, I cycle myself. Um, and I have oh, cycled cool. for charity before. So that was something that was like, ooh, oh, that's cool. So I was wondering... How how is that something that you got into? Have you always enjoyed cycling and thought, hey, this is a great way to marry the two? Yeah. Um, so my uh, I, I grew up basically back in the days where kids could go off on their own for you know all day long and ride their bikes and and play in the woods and and uh, venture you know neighborhoods far away. So I, I always rode you know spent tons of time on a bike when I was a kid and when I got older. Um, I sort of reinvigorated that, and uh, my wife got involved with a, a charity bike ride, which is a, a 500 mile ride over seven days for a group called Anchor House. And that's for, it's for homeless children that uh, have run away from horrible circumstances, and they basically need a, a, a roof over their heads. It's sort of an orphanage. So the, um, the, the, the route um, takes you 500 miles over seven days, and I, she had done it one year and then uh you know as as partners can often do they uh she informed me that the next year i was going to do it because she had, <laughs> had a, you know it's an incredible thing so she you know i bought a new bike and uh and i trained for it and my first year was uh of course you can't really um 
prepare yourself for that sort of a thing. Um, you can ride all you want, but once you get down to, once you get to day three and you're like, oh man, am I really doing this? Um, it gets tough. But, uh, but uh, since then I have been addicted and I've done it six times um, over the past couple of years. It's been really unbelievable. You meet wonderful people. It's a great charity and it's just uh, um, a, a wonderful way to spend your summer mornings. Oh, absolutely. Um, what kind of, so I, I only have a general kind of idea of say, I know where New Jersey is, but yeah. it kind of stops. I mean, I could point to it on a map and then I'd be like, okay, and take it from here. So wh- where does yeah. your 500 miles take you? So it start, it always ends in New Jersey, but it starts in places like uh, Maryland or Virginia or Western Pennsylvania. Um, uh, in uh, like, uh, in Massachusetts, you know, all through there, and it and it kind of we do a different route every year, and, and you sort of um, weave your way through back roads and hills and dales and farms and beautiful countryside. Um, it's it, folks may not realize this, especially your listeners and in, uh, uh, in Europe and the UK and Ireland, uh, but um, New Jersey is actually an incredibly beautiful uh, place um, outside of the cities. It's um, full of forests and hills and trees and, you know, great, great, uh, great places like uh, that um, to ride horses and things like that. So it's, um, it's, it's, it's really nice to, to ride your bike around. Um, oh, it's like that, that kind of scenery. Um, you, you're right. As soon as you get outside of cities, cycling, you, you start to see why people enjoy cycling so much. Yeah. Um, when you're only cycling, say, if you're doing it to commute or, you know, you're traveling through traffic, then people might look at you like you have two heads. Like, why would you enjoy getting on a bicycle? Um, <laughs> but, uh, oh, yeah. I love to dress up like Tron and go out for like 40 miles <laughs> or so and, and have a destination and, you know, get, have a bit of a snack when you get out there and then ride back that's kind of like a perfect perfect morning for me that sounds really good now, it, it, now that, that's another funny thing as well you're, you're saying that's a perfect morning for you that to me sounds like a weekend you know it's like 40 <laughs> my, oh my god um oh, I, goodness no I, I do i i enjoy a good cycle but the the most i've ever done we, we did it for a charity there it was last year now sorry we cycled across ireland now you must oh, wow. bear in mind tom that ireland is not a big country so I cycled <laughs> coast to coast in eight hours. Ah, gotcha. So just just to give you an idea. Um, so, uh, but it was oh, it was man. good crack. You see, it's very it was very flat. Um, it was so okay. you had cyclists say of all somebody who had done a week's worth of training and somebody who had done five oh. years worth of training were in the same peloton. Well, it sounds wonderful, though. I'd love to do it. Was it was it a bit windy? Because I just imagine Ireland. I've been to Ireland a few times. It's been a bit. Bit of a bit of wind in your face all the do, time. Do you know what bits of it? Yeah, bits of it were um, because you get to the parts where there's just no cover, and yeah. we were coming into the the final town. It was uh, Galway was the finishing point. There is a stretch of road that goes alongside the, uh, I suppose the seaside basically, and in theory that sounds lovely after eight hours of cycling. But what they do is to get you into the city safely, they give you a police escort. Just, you know, to make sure you can go through red lights and stuff like that. So it's great. Now, fortunately, we took a break about 10 kilometers outside the city just to get the police ready. And we had a sandwich, which meant that all of the sweat that had built up over the last eight hours was then sitting on our clothes as we sat Ooh. by the ocean 
with the ocean breeze coming in. So I've never seen so many people do such a quick takeoff on the bike as when we were trying to do that because everyone was trying to get their body heat back up again. Oh man, that's tough. That's <laughs> tough. Must I, I uh, you know, we've had some mornings where it's pretty darn cold. Um, but, but usually it's, uh, usually we, we don't get that cold, but uh, I, I, it's a dream of mine to, uh, to cycle in Ireland and even cycle along, uh, uh, the Hadrian's wall route in um, between uh, England and Scotland. I, I, I love to do that. That's, that's my kind of thing. Um, so one day I shall do it. No, oh, that's right. You can, and I'm saying this on a recording, you can count me in. Um, All right. Give me, give me this. When you come to Ireland, I'll, I'll, I'll take a week because I would love it. It's, we have, as one thing we do have here is we do have nice cycling routes. Again, just get outside the cities and it's, it's nice. Um, Inside the cities, it's like, um, trying to think, you know, have you seen Saving Private Ryan? Yeah. You know the opening 20 minutes of that? (laughs) That's that's cycling in rush hour here in Dublin. Oh, man. Yeah, I'll stick away from that. (laughs) And uh, you are in Dublin then? Yes, yes. So I'm in Dublin. I'm actually quite nearly smack bang in the middle of Dublin, uh, which is in normal times. That's brilliant. You know, you're close to everything. Which, but right now, I could be in the middle of Dublin. I could be sitting on an island for the amount that I go outside. So, but no, in theory, it's very good. Um, yeah, and, yeah. I've, um, been, I've been following some of the um, the, the Dublin theatre scene on on Twitter, and uh, there's folks that are doing plays and things like that. I've actually watched a brilliant play um, by an actor named Claire Monolly. She did a a, a fantastic one woman play. Where she is, um, it's called uh, Charlie's a Klepto. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. She plays like twelve characters, and she has this crazy one single day where uh, she is trying to deal with a, a, a family fallout and um, you know issues with social services and um, it, you know minor criminal activities going on with her with her dad. It's just it's just brilliant. It's unbelievably. Um, you know, captivating. Uh, highly- Sorry, it is. Sorry, it's just we're, as you were talking there, I was giving it a quick Google. Um, oh yeah, um, that's something I will have a look and see if I can. I was trying to see if because Ireland, to be honest, we joke about it, but Ireland really is that small. I was like, oh yeah, Claire, let's see if I know her, and I don't. I actually don't know her. Um, but there was a chance for a second. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was it because yeah, yeah. Uh, communities are small here. I'll, right? I will you, say I'll send you the link for it if you. Yeah, when I was a, uh, I mean, for an American, it's it's um part of the fun of watching a uh, something like that is that you just you have to keep up with uh with uh, a variation of English which is not familiar to you. Um, <laughs> not that it's hard to understand, but it's you, you just have to watch because the words that folks use in other parts of the world are different. Um, for, for various things, you know, like going down to the corner and one version of English means something else, you know, it, and it's, it, it's fascinating for me as a student of language, somebody who just enjoys the, the written word so much. Um, I, I think there's so much poetry in, in dialogue. And when I write, I, I often try to um, utilize that, you know, that, that, that sort of wonderful sense of people talking to one another, because that's, um, you know, I, I started with talking about uh, the, the screenwriting thing, and w- one of the things that made me fall in love with that was the idea of, of being able to tell most of your story through pictures and words. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and that's the one thing I, I really love about, um, you know, about writing is, is having characters speak to each other and, you know, and having the, the back and forth. Um, but I have a philosophy about it. Would you like to hear the philosophy? I would most certainly love to hear the philosophy. Okay. So I write every, every scene, regardless of what it's about, like a fight scene. Okay. Shall I explain further? Please do. All right. So, so when people think about a fight scene, they're, they're considering, you know, uh, kinetic activity action, you know, one thing leads to another. Um, but really the same thing should be happening in any scene when you're talking about like characters interacting with one another, the things that they do should be impacting each other. So when I have characters speaking to one another in, in, in a situation, you know, I, I barely ever have like a character sitting across from somebody at a desk, you know, and they're just talking, you know, and just and conveying information to each other. There needs to be an undercurrent of the meaning between the two characters, what's going on between them, and, and what is their history, and what does you know a raise of an eyebrow mean? Um, and and I, I like to convey a lot of different things um, in uh, in 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 those types of things. So I, I I never treat a scene like it's just a scene where we need to convey information. I want to make sure that it's you know interesting and compelling, and the you know the characters are really expressing their conflict for one another. Well, that makes it, it's funny because it, it, how do I phrase this? It makes perfect sense, as you say, to break it down into that, I suppose, minutia in a way, because, you know, we shouldn't phone in a scene because two people are in a room, you know, like, what are they doing? Where are they? Where are they? What's happening? What's going on? Um, that's very, very interesting, but I hadn't thought of it that way before. That's that's very interesting. Now, and is that, I presume now, so does that mean that when you sit down to write Timberwolf, okay, and I think you mentioned that initially you were thinking of it as a screenplay, is that right? That's correct. So when you decided to, and I, I, not to get away from the screenplay, I want to come back to that, but just when you came to adapting it to a novel, how did you find the transference of of that or did you find that you it all just flowed out of you because you had already envisioned it that way well it it, it did have the quality the you know the value of having the screenplay to work on but what is great about screenwriting is that if you do it right you're picking out the most important things that the character is experiencing at any one time not just the dialogue but you know with screenwriting you have maybe a sentence or two to set this to set the scene and you have to say you know what what's the room like who's in it you know is there a, a band playing um what, what's you know what's coming out of the kitchen you know things like that so you, you really need to pick and what's interesting about screenwriting is that you know a um a director reads that and then they envision in their head what's going on and they kind of create, um, uh, you know, the tendons between all those things and, in, and ends up in a, uh, you know, a picture in their mind. And that's what's important about um, what, what I love about screenwriting and, and how it helped me take the novel is that it helped me find those really, really critical, important things and, um, and bring them forth in a, in a very expressive manner. So I like to use an economy of words to, to paint um, really, really vivid pictures for 
what a character is experiencing. And I really try to make sure, you know, I write in the third person, but I, I only like to, as much as I can, focus on what the character knows and experiences. You know, um, like what's the, um, I, and I like to, to utilize, especially, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a separate from screenwriting, but, um, you know, the, all the senses, right? So if someone um, charges up a laser rifle, you know, maybe that has a smell. Maybe that smells like, um, like ash or something, or it's, it, it, it trills up and has a sound. Um, and if you add little details like that, it, it allows the reader to build that picture in their mind and create a vividness that's way, way beyond what's actually written on the page. So that's kind of where I, I, I go. Well, that is that 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 is a fantastic point. The particularly about the laser rifle there, the the idea of ha it having more than just. Um, so, uh, for example, I I have read and written, so I, I'm not absolving myself of this. Where you know what's the distinctive characteristic of, and it's heavy, and I might kind of stop there and you know think that that's enough. But what you're saying is that it's heavy and there's a smell and it might feel a certain way and it becomes more real. Yep. Exactly, because if you think, well, like walk into your um, your mom's house on Christmas morning, and what's on the stove, and and what's twinkling in the in the you know in the front room, and you know what's your aunt talking about, and you know all those things that come together um, and make that scene just you know pop out. You know, I think about you know someone uh, uh, grabbing gra you know grabbing that rifle and 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 having it. Uh, maybe it's hot. Maybe it. Maybe the tip of it's been fired a lot, or something like that. And it really brings forth a uh, you know a sense of being in the in that moment. I, I yeah, I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Yeah, now, thanks, thanks. You're you're very you're very very welcome. I I have I suppose I. I I want to ask you. So where did the idea for Timberwolf come to? But I don't know if that's a very cliched question. Uh, it's a it's a great question. It has a very simple, strange answer. Oh. Um, like I think most things about you know my <laughs> your conversation with me. Um, <laughs> so it's uh, I I had a just and this actually happened. Uh, I thought about this years ago after I was in after the pitch from with Star Trek. I was you know sitting in the hotel room, and I, I had one thing in my head. I, I was like, there's a guy floating in space in a cool you know uh, fighting rig spacesuit and he's surrounded by wreckage and um he you know who is this man what's going on who's going to rescue him etc and i literally i mean that's it that's the only thing i had and then i started to think about what you know what brought that person here and and what caused the wreckage and what's the planet that they're over you know what's going on what happened down there um who who are the combatants in it in that simple scene really helped fill out the entire world that um, that I developed through Timberwolf, um, and uh, it's really a, a, it's a it's a story about um, relationships. You know, um, Timberwolf um, was a like a ment a mentee of an individual who betrayed him. Um, you know, and he ended up uh, having to turn on that individual. Um, you know, when that person. Uh, went down a path that was unacceptable. I like to think about it sort of like um, if you've seen the film Aliens and maybe, you know, mix that together with the film Apocalypse Now, um, it kind of has oh, yeah. that feel to it because someone is, you know, going into the heart of darkness to stop someone else from, uh, 
from uh, you know, causing chaos. So that's what uh, where it came from. Yeah, I liked I liked it a lot. I think um, obviously now you know as I'm massive uh, science fiction fan, so I straight away uh, both. Aliens jump straight into my head. Um, when you said it there, I can picture it. I picture the aesthetic. I have seen Apocalypse Now. I think it's a fantastic film. It's long, but it's a fantastic yeah. film. And again, I love it like, in small doses. Like you know, I, I don't want to watch the whole movie. I want to watch like ten minutes of it at a time on uh, on YouTube because it's so intense. It, it, you know, it is. Sometimes people would describe it like you know, oh, you know, I'm watching season one of Apocalypse Now. Oh, Grant, let me know when you get to this episode. I kind of describe oh, it like yes, that. Exactly. You know. Episode seven, exactly. The French Plantation. Um, yes. Right, right, right. <laughs> That's the same way I, I feel about Full Metal Jacket. I can't watch that whole thing. It's just too much. It's too oh. intense for me, you know. Um, even though it's unbelievably hard to stop watching it when you start watching it. But, um, yeah. Well, that's the thing I've, I've sort of infused into my writing is that I, I, I like to use short chapters, uh, maybe three or four pages maximum. And at the end of each chapter, I, I throw in like a, like a kind of an irresistible little lick as to what, you know, they, they can't possibly stop reading now. You know, you have to, you have to read another, another, at least another page. Um, and so I, I find, uh, and it, you can tell this on Amazon, I, I find people like read the entire book, like, like in a day. Um, and you can kind of tell by the page reads um, because people uh, end up like, you know, they, they see the end of one chapter and then they jump into the next chapter. And I always like to start chapters with some sort of, if I can, some sort of unusual, shocking puzzle sort of thing where, you, you know, you, you express um, a, uh, you know, a visual picture or a scenario or someone exclaims something like, you know, uh, I can't believe everyone's dead. You know, you have to read a little bit more to find out what the heck you're talking about. So like that, that jumping from one thing to the next um, and, and keeping people interested in that sense. You know, I, I consider myself to be, um, if, if anything, somebody who's there to entertain. You know, I don't, I, I want to give the, um, the reader what they're looking for and hook them in. Um, but I also don't want to give the reader exactly what they're looking for or, or bring them to what, they're, what they get in an expected way. Um, what I love to do is throw out like uh, sort of plot points and puzzles that get solved later. So, you know, it sticks in the back of the, of the reader's mind, like, okay, wait a minute, what's going on with that? Why did he throw that in there? And then like, you know, uh, 10 pages later, it comes together with something else and the person gets delighted because they, they, they kind of connected those dots and, and such. So for me, I, I think of uh, creating a story like 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 Timberwolf, which is fairly complex, as like building a wonderful puzzle that you can both experience from the perspective if you just like to read about you know space marines blowing each other up, you can read it at that level, but you can also read it at the level of of characters really at war with each other, uh, in a war of wits, um, you know, and puzzles coming together of plot points that um, that you might be interested in. So. Um, you know, not, not to be precious about it, but I do like to write on a couple different levels. And I hope that, uh, that my readers are able to appreciate it on a couple different levels. I always hear, like, you know, people say that it's a uh, sort of a space marine, space opera thing, but with, with uh, many twists in it, which is uh, something I really love to hear. Well, that's like, I, I know as a reader, I, I like something that keeps me guessing. And I actually really like the style that you descri described with short chapter, short and punchy and keeps you engaged. I, I'm a sucker for that. I really like that. I think it's, 
I, I think it's a sign of the author being aware of their audience. Um, and I'm not saying that in the writing process, you must think what will excite somebody here, what will excite them there, because the story must unfold naturally. But yeah. I really, really enjoy that. And I think some of the stories that lend themselves very well to... Now, I suppose it's funny because this was kind of a reverse adaptation. This came from a screenplay to a novel. But I would say it's also a good, um, a good trait of novels that get turned into screenplays are the ones that you know, keep the, I suppose, the action up and keep you guessing because you don't want to know five minutes in what's going to happen 300 pages in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's good to see, like, the flag flying, you know, miles away, but you want to sort of take a, uh, a twisty path to get there, I think. You know, it's okay to let you know where you're going, but... Um, the real, the real adventure is finding the way, in my opinion. I just, I just love, I love stories like that. And, I'm, and what, what, what I, what I tried to do was to, I'm obviously inspired by TV, and uh, I, I tried to kind of create each chapter as, you know, a distinct scene. Um, so you, you're physically moving through things. It's not that you're, you know. Um, Sometimes we have obviously time jumps within chapters, you know, things like, oh, well, three days later, this happened or something. But I like to kind of keep that tight. It, it's, uh, it's important to me to, to, make, to, to bring the, the, the reader through what they're experiencing kind of in real time. Um, and I also can't stand like um, really staying in one place very long. Um, you know, if you've ever uh, watched a movie or film or read a book where, you know, you realize at some point that the characters aren't, aren't going anywhere else. They're going to be, you know, maybe the the zombie horde has chased everybody to this farm, right? And <laughs> you're like two thirds of the way through the book and you're like, realize, you know, okay, you know what, everything's going to happen on this farm. It's not going to really take you or the characters very much further than this. And that kind of limits, physically limits what's, what they're experiencing. So for me, I'm like, uh, you know, I like to, I, I think about it almost like a James Bond type type, um, uh, you know, planet hopping, environment hopping scenario where they're, you know, they're here, they're on a, they're on a, you know, a spaceship and then they're on a planet and then they're on a, you know, space station and then they're doing this and that. Um, for me, that, that kind of um, makes the reader fill in blanks as well, as well as be entertained. Um, if you recall, maybe some of the joy of uh, growing up with Star Wars was the, was imagining what was just off, off screen that you couldn't see. You know, like the, the Mos Eisley Cantina, you had like thoughts about what, what was that guy doing or what's down that corridor? And, uh, and what, what might, uh, if you spend another half hour here, what, what might you see? And I like to kind of infuse that sensibility into, uh, into, into what, the, what the reader's experiencing. You describe the book as spy-fi, which I love and I will possibly steal. But I, I think it's a fantastic name for a genre. And it's obviously, it's got quite a knowing nod to, you've, you've mentioned James Bond there. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, I, so did, when you were writing, did you know that you were going to be, right, that's it, I am, this story is going to feature espionage and it will do this. Or was it something that when you imagined um, Timberwolf in the debris field did it sort of yeah. unravel in your own mind oh actually no he's a spy Wh which came first so, chicken or the egg I guess 
I, I guess the 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 world came in, and that the portion of the spies really came in later because I was thinking like, well, you know, every spy has a handler, you know, like James Bond has Q. Um, so I was thinking like, well, wait a minute, why is he out there? He's got to have somebody who's controlling what's going on or sending him there. It's not like he's just his own his own guy. Um, so I invented a uh, you know a um, an agency which uh, which he's a part of, and I invented a more or less a cue for him, who is a uh, a character named Doctor Tear, who's a bit of a um, cold-hearted um, medical doctor turned um, spy handler, and uh, and she is a great character whom I just you know truly love, um, who who sends basically Timberwolf off into uh, into the uh, shadows to. Um, to handle diplomacy when diplomacy isn't working, so he's he's sort of the um, a uh, if you if you threw a different light on Timberwolf in in, the, in this crew of individuals, they would be the bad guys. Absolutely, there's no there's no doubt about it. Um, a shady government agency who sent you know assassins and things like that, um, which I which actually I love the idea that that you know you know who is the good or the bad guy in in a story. You know, if you are if you think about it. Um, I, I don't have those sort of shades, um, or I'm not afraid of those sorts of shading, where the good guy and the bad guy could, you know, possibly switch places if there's a, if there's a, you know, room for it. Well, I, I suppose that it, it speaks to, in a way, I, I'm, I'm, the phrase I'm thinking of is beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So, you know, if you're, if you believe in one uh, idealism, but then the other one, is the bad guy. And if you happen to believe in the one that Timberwolf doesn't believe in, well, then he is very much the bad guy in your opinion. Um, and I like yeah. that. I, I like, you know, and um, without, obviously, I don't want you to, to give any spoilers away, but I, I presume there's probably things that he does that when viewed a certain way would be like, oh, hang on. This isn't, yep. this guy isn't Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, he's sort of a—he's uh, a—he's a tough sort of seal, seal team six type guy. So he's obviously, you know, setting bombs and and uh, attacking people and, and and doing stuff like that. So you know, he's a military guy. So if you think about it, like uh, um, in the uh, Revolutionary War, the American Revolutionary War, who who are the good guys and who are the bad guys? Is there a good guy or bad guy in that scenario, or is it just two uh, opposing forces? It's not like the, uh, uh, you know, uh, it's not it's not as clear cut because um, mm. I'm sure the the British felt they were the good guys and we were the the rebels and and such. And now that uh, you know, uh, things could be could be seen differently. So I don't I don't shy away from that. I actually love that kind of concept. That's good. I I. I again as a reader i like something that makes me think you know i i, I don't like ah, now i don't want to tar everything with the same brush but occasionally i don't like being told this is what you're supposed to believe you know i like something that is no no there's there's the facts or what we will present you as the facts go make up your own mind yeah yeah i mean it's characters behaving in a certain way and and you could decide whether you know you agree with that behavior or not but I like to almost think like, you know, the, the characters aren't in any way, shape or form a, uh, an expression of my point of view, right? They're, they're just there, you know, and they have their point of view. Um, and if they do something that um, the reader doesn't like um, or thinks is kind of um, a little shady, 
you know, that's not, that's not me. That's, that's the, uh, that's the, you know, that's Emmanuel Gray or that's Dr. Tier or that's Timberwolf doing something. Um, in fact, it even crosses over uh, beyond the concept of, of people. Like there's um, aliens in this, in the story, you know, giant psychic spiders. Um, and uh, we sort of stumbled upon their nest and, 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 you know, drew the first blood. So, you know, who's the, uh, who's the aggressor is a big question in the story. Giant psychic spiders. You've just put this in one of the, oh, I'm going to be scared reading this book, aren't I? Oh, I'm going to get scared. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I, I don't know it what happened be. to me as a two-year-old, but I've been arachnophobic ever since. Um, something. Yeah, I get that a lot. I get that. I get that. Um, I get that. It's sort of the anti, um, you know, uh, you had me at hello. It's sort of like, you, you lost me at giant psychic spiders. Um, so it's, it, it's a risk I take. It's a risk I take, but uh, it's funny. It's like, I couldn't, I couldn't, I, I have a hard time writing in a non three-dimensional manner. Like, you know, it, it, there can be a, a monolithic um, evil giant psychic spiders, right? But I needed to kind of lift up the, the, the tab and see what was underneath them. And, you know, they're no, I don't whitewash any behavior in the book or, or make it so okay now it's excusable that they're doing this or that but I didn't I, I wanted to to at least express their point of view um, and make it so they they are not just uh, you, you know aliens like from uh, you know Starship Troopers where they're just blowing bugs away mm. I, I wanted the the, the the giant psychic spiders uh, um, they're called Arnok which is a, a, a take on the Iraq you know Iraq arachnoid Mm -hmm. um and uh the 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 leader of them is sort of he he plays a game of mental chess with uh with timberwolf throughout the entire you know the entire book um and at time at times controlling him to do its bidding but also at times controlling him to save his life which is kind of interesting you know he walks into a room full of guys that want to kill him and he sort of blacks out and everybody is knocked out and he doesn't remember why um, and it's because the, uh, the the spider has saved him, so it's kind of a, Ooh, a like give and take there. Yeah, it's a it's sort of um, a lot a lot of layers going on there. So it's neat, and it's inspired. Like a lot of the visuals are inspired by my experiences, and uh, I I, uh, I grew up uh, not grew up, but um, I was uh, I, I worked in the Twin Towers on 9/11. Um, so wow. the, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so that that sticks with you. I, my God, I, when I say I can imagine, of course, I just mean in very general sense, my goodness. Um, yeah. yeah, I, it's not often yeah. speeches, Tom. Um, yeah. If one, if one could, uh, imagine your life briefly turning into a Michael Bay movie, that was, uh, that was my experience on 9-11. I, I, uh, I worked in the Twin Towers and my, uh, subway stopped, um, uh, two stops before because they, they there was the the fire at the after the first plane hit so I uh, I left the uh, left the subway came out to the street and I just saw a gaping hole and uh, papers falling down and everything happening and and so I, I was inspired in, in part of Timberwolf takes place in a, in an old um, ancient dilapidated uh, like weapons facility. And to me, I, I wanted to treat it like, you know, sort of sort of what that wreckage was like, because it's covered in dust and it's creaky and, um, you know, it's dilapidated. 
um, and, the, and it was um, the, the scene of some disaster. So for me, it's very um, visuals taken from that, um, you know, expressed what I, uh, what I experienced on that day. Wow. And, and did you find uh, then in the writing of Buddhist, and, and of course the second novel has been released as well, there has been, I suppose in the last 20 years, a, a very definite, I mean, it's called post 9-11 literature. Um, there has been, you know, a hard edge to stories. Some of the, uh, I suppose to use a Star Trek connection there, some of the optimism, say, of say Next Generation DS, maybe less so DS9, but original series yeah. sort of went out of literature, certainly for a while. Do, do you felt, or do you feel that that was an influence when you were writing Timberwolf? Well, I think, um, yeah, that's a great point. Um, because I write about, sort of um, a concept called blowback, which is when uh, one one party makes a move, you know, to maybe in CIA terms to assassinate a, uh, a terrorist. Well, you know, sooner or later that, that terrorist's family or buddies are gonna come back and, and, and do something else. Maybe they're gonna blow up an embassy. So for me, it was that uh, concept that, uh, you know, pulling the trigger in causing violence is always going to lead to disaster. So in most cases, when um, when there's action or fighting in my in my books, it, it is never goes the way that people wanted it to go. Um, you know, it, it, it's never like a clean clean scenario where they they shoot the bad guys and get away. There's always sort of like they shoot the bad guys and get away, but you know. What, what was the cost of that? You know, somebody on the team died or somebody, uh, or, or, or later they find out that the, the bad guys got somebody else. So there's, for me, it's like, um, there's not, there, there isn't cleanliness involved in any of this. Um, and, and it kind of coincided with the, the wonderful um, prestige television that came on like uh, Breaking Bad and Sopranos where you didn't have to have um, a, a redemption of any way, shape or form. Like my favorite, line and like pretty much the last 20 years that I've seen in in books TV or or movies has been the Walter White line when he he explains that he's the danger when his wife is concerned about him uh you know and she's worried about him like when the knock on the door comes you know um worried that you're you know you're going to be in danger and he says I'm the danger you know to me I, I was like captivated by that concept that the uh, you know, it's okay for your characters to be the aggressors and the, the ones that are, um, you know, coming out of the darkness. And that, that's always intrigued me a lot. It, it is because, you know, when you, when you sit down to plot out your, your protagonist, they're your protagonist. You know, you, you're kind of thinking, do I write them as the antagonist or... You know, do yeah. I, am I writing a villain or am I writing an anti-hero? And I presume there's uh, a lot of that question asked on the set of, or on the writing room of Breaking Bad. But, uh, I mean, sorry, I know exactly the scene you mean. It's it's incredible piece of television, incredible piece of writing uh, and yeah. acting as well. Um, yeah. I, I, think, I, think, I think for me that there is like a, a, a sliver where I like to keep, you know, certain characters on the side. Um, like my my main character Timberwolf, he he does, I guess, um, uh, bend towards goodness, ultimately, you know, and you can tell that by by him, uh, and the things he does. 
um, in the other characters, like his his enemy, he bends a little bit towards the towards the dark. Um, but it's not obviously like you know like a like Luke and Darth Vader where it's very much light and dark, literally in the the costumes they're wearing. Um, but I do like to you know keep that line blurred. When you finished your first novel, Timberwolf, um, so did you did you say approach a publisher then? Had you already spoken to publishers? Did you what 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 route did you go? I'm thinking yeah. now specifically for the for the writers in the audience. Oh, so that um, I had uh, I had kind of met through an unusual series of connections. It's kind of too complicated to get into, but they had. Um, uh, liked the concept of the screenplay, but suggested it was a bit too big for its britches and that I might um, turn it into a novel. So that's kind of a, a non-typical um, situation. Um, so I, uh, I, I, I brought it forth and, and, and had a publisher waiting for, for the book uh, as I was writing it. So that, that it wasn't like I wrote it as a screenplay and then sat on it and then wrote it as a book and then chopped it around. It was, it was screenplay was identified as being um, potentially viable. And, uh, and then I, I turned it into a book form. That's, that's very cool because I'm, I'm sure you've heard the phrase before when, when they say, you know, you have 10 years to write your first novel, but you've usually got about 16 months to write your second novel. But did you have that sort of time consciousness on your first novel yeah yeah i did it was but the the um the novel uh, i probably wrote the draft in about four months um i was working off the screenplay so that was very helpful and i did have uh, i had an hour i had a two-hour commute uh one hour in the morning and one hour in the evening i could sit on the train and just kind of bang out what i wanted to um so that was that was very helpful so i did that um and then in fact, my second novel was, there's a five year gap between the first and the second novel. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah, and, and that had to do with, I was, uh, my publisher went out of business and I was sitting on you know a half written manuscript and I'm like, what do I do with this thing? Of course. And I, I was getting frustrated because I, I had the other novel out of print. The first novel was out of print for a while and I had the rights back and eventually I said, you know what? Um, it's, it's a series and um, it's very hard to rehome a book that's lost its publisher. So I, uh, I published the first book, um, I republished the first book on my own. And the second book, I sort of half-heartedly looked for a publisher and I found a few that were interested, um, but ultimately um, they, they weren't gonna be able to do that much more for me than I could do myself. Mm. Um, so, you know, I have obviously the confidence that, that, that the book is quality. Um, but I, I just, I didn't want to, you know, just kind of hand over the, the book to somebody and said, here, put your name on this and take 50% of everything. Um, there's, there's that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that was a better, a better deal. So it's, it's it kind of reduced the stress. Well, as good as I can call the shots, I had the, um, I found the same cover artist that I had on the first book and she just knocked it out of the park. Um, I just, I absolutely can, I, I love the cover. I'm looking at, looking at a copy of the book right now in the corner of my desk and it's just, um, you know, it, it really strikes me. I just love it um, very much. 
that is like i i love many things about that but uh, the fact that you know you are you are a successful writer you you are a published author you have also become personally successful that you have personally published your second novel which again so because i think gone are the days of you know selling the car the book out of the boot of your car you know you you, you've heard about this in the four and thankfully thankfully those are gone because i you know i dread to think how many masterpieces were lost because some editor didn't take a chance and thankfully now would i be right in saying you're published through amazon kindle would that be right or is there another grace yeah yeah because they are now after yeah that's you know i i'm i their tools are easy to use and it mm-hmm. kind of just gets you up and, and ready to go. And um, was it, I, I was using, you know, I republished the first one on my own and the second one was a, kind of a staff. I was able to pull it together pretty easily. But I mean, when you're, one thing to be very, very um, cognizant of if you're um, to the folks that are out there that are writers, um, have it proofread by a professional proofreader uh, that you're going to pay like, you know, uh, maybe a thousand bucks for it. Um, to have someone sit and read your story and make sure that you are, you know, uh, get the commas in the right place or you've done this right or this wrong. Um, you will, you will miss tons of them if you, if you, if you decide to self-publish and don't have a proofreader. And that's one of the things that kills a, uh, a reader. You may have the best story ever, but if it's riddled with typos, um, your readers are going to, you know, really trash it and, and, uh, and uh, give you like two stars. So uh, I would highly recommend that. That And, and, uh, and a beta reader um, as well um, that can tell you, you know, which parts suck and which parts are great is, uh, is really helpful. That is, that is fantastic advice. Well, I'll tell you what, we're, we're coming up to the end of the episode now. So what I'd like oh, to no. do is, uh, I know like these, these hours fly by uh, so quickly. This, is, this has flown by. This is unbelievable. It's a, such a really fun time. Uh, and, you know, you've been such an incredible gentleman. Thank you so much for having me. Not, not at all. I could you know, listen to you talk all evening. <laughs> and that's no exaggeration. Like, I've, I've got to listen to this on record back. Um, but what I want to do now is I want to give you a chance to, in a way, sort of tell us a little, kind of the blurb, but also a little bit of what's to come in the future for you, where, you know, what can we find out there that's by you? Where can we find us? Um, tell us, tell, tell us, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so it's, it's super, uh, it's super easy. Um, I own TomJulian.com. So if uh, anybody Great. wants to see my, my books that that's, uh, something that they can just you know visit and all of my uh all my books are, are right there um so what you know the story you know is about the the uh, more or less a um jason Bourne type character in the future um secret agent scenario um and the, the plot of it is fairly involved um of both the stories but you know consider uh, that we're in a, in, a, in a situation where we've human race has experienced decades of constant war, where we've been the aggressors um, and marched across the galaxy, and finally uh, we've ran into a uh, a, a group of uh, uh, of 
aliens called the Arnok, which are the spiders that have stopped us in our tracks. So right now we're in a sort of detente where an organization called the Department of Peace Enforcement is um, enforcing a, uh, a, a non-aggression scenario upon the human race. And there's a lot of unrest that that causes because, you know, we've gotten so used to war over the past decades that, uh, you know, it sort of disrupts our society. Um, so there's lots of movement to restart the war and, and uh, Timberwolf's former mentor, Emmanuel Gray, um, kind of goes off to capture a, a uh, hidden weapons facility and to basically wipe out the Arnok and start the wars again. And Timberwolf has to stop him. Um, so that's the scenario of, uh, of the universe and um, things kind of unfold from there in a uh, fat, rather exciting and delightful manner. And I think they, the ultimate uh, twist of it is, uh, you know, it's about a secret agent with a giant psychic spider stuck in his head. That's kind of the quick blurb. I, I love that. Like, based on that alone, like the whole thing sounds fantastic, but based on that alone, I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to read this book. Yeah. Yeah, there's an um, um, audio version as well as a print version So uh, of the first book. Uh, I, didn't, I haven't done the audio version of the second book yet, but... Um, there's uh, fun samples you can listen to uh, of an of a extremely talented actor um, named C.J. McAllister, who's, uh, who read the book for me um, and has done an unbelievably good job. Uh, so the, the, the sample that's up on Amazon is kind of like the uh, scenario where Timberwolf is, is meeting with um, Dr. Tear, his James Bond to the Q, um, and she's deciding whether to shoot him out the airlock because of uh of the spider stuck in his head whether he's a risk or not or whether she should send him out on a mission so it's 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 fairly uh it's fairly cool um yeah. and it's unbelievable to hear your work read by a, a an actor um it's it uh it's the ultimate uh it's the ultimate thrill for a writer well actually joel i i did i listened to that uh excerpt that you sent me the link to and i will absolutely second it it was it was it was gripping like it was absolutely gripping yeah um, yeah, yeah, that's the uh, that's the spider. That's the spider hitting you. <laughs> I mean, the imagery is terrifying, but the idea is incredibly intriguing. Thank you, sir. Well, not Thank at all. And I, paid a, I paid a giant spider to influence you. Well, I, I, listen, money well spent. Money well spent because that's it. I'll be picking up a copy of it today and uh, I will oh, be... You know, leaving the window open for any spider who wants to come through. Actually, Joe, I'm taking that bit back. I will not be leaving the window open. I will be barricading the window no. if that would stop a psychic spider. But listen, Tom, thank you so, so, so much for your time this evening. I really, really appreciate you talking to me. Oh, of course, man. Of course. Anytime you want to have me back, I will. Uh, I'd come back to to talk about random stuff with you. This has been a delight. Um, I'd, I'd love to. Uh, I'd love to return if you're open. Absolutely, uh, and I mean that's like you—you you, you, you want a spot, you name the date. Like I've been. All right, sir. Just excited I'd, I'd, talk. I'd, to I'd, uh, you name the show. I'd I'd, uh, I'd prepare for it. Grand, that's cool. <laughs> we'll do uh, aliens and apocalypse now on the same episode, and starting with the French plantation. That'd be great. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. That'd be great. We can compare and contrast. Thank you, sir. Not at all. Not at all. Now, just before, um, in terms of, say, your social, because we, so your website is tomjulian.com, and I'll put a link to that in the description of this episode. Where can people find you, say, on the various socials? Um, I am on um, facebook.com slash timberwolf. 
Cool. And my Twitter handle is Timberwolf Novel. Timberwolf Novel. That is perfect. So what I'll do is what I'll put both of those in the description of this episode so people can just click on the button and go straight there. All right, sir. Thank you so much for all your all your help and attention. This has been wonderful. I really enjoyed this. Really enjoyed this now. Um, and that is the end of our episode this week, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Whether you think we're mad for what we've said, think we're stunning and wonderful, or frankly, think we're on crack, let us know. Please consider following the podcast on the podcast catcher of your choice. If you want to get in touch, you can follow me on Twitter at Sean Ferrick. Please rate and review the podcast wherever you find it. If you can, every word goes a long way. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider becoming a patron over on Patreon forward slash Sean Ferrick. For the same price as a coffee a month, you can get exclusive access to episodes before they air, along with creative input on the episodes that we produce. And once more, at the, sa- at the risk of sounding like I'm gushing, Tom, thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Thanks. Not thank you, a- Sean. Not at all. Not at all. Guys, we'll be back for another episode next week of You're On Crack. I've been Sean, and you've been awesome.